Welcome to the Mentality Podcast, where we have real conversations with real people about healthy masculinities. I'm your host, Lao Jokan, and throughout this podcast, we'll hear from a wide range of guests about the views and experiences of manhood. We'll look at the bits we should celebrate, but also its messy parts, while having a bit of a laugh. Hi guys and welcome to our first ever episode of Mentality Podcast and today our guest is Dr. Andy Parnham. He's an independent coach and trainer and runs his own well-being courses. Andy was also one of our speakers at the Managing Finances and Mental Health webinar we held in March last year. At the webinar Andy spoke about the importance of emotional well-being for us men and I thought in this episode we can drill down on this topic. Andy's joining us online so a big welcome to you Andy. Hi guys, thank you. Thanks for having me now. It's great to have you on the pod, Andy. And just to kick off the conversation with a cheeky question, especially there's a lot of hype around wellness and well-being. One image that can come to someone's mind is that uh, wellness is about green tea, bubble baths and rosemary candles. Would you say that this is a fair description of what wellness is? Well, it's certainly a a description, isn't it? Uh, And kind of a stereotype. And since we're talking about men, aren't we? Men's well-being. Often from a male point of view it all sounds very touchy-feely and quite honestly quite feminine because you come across holistic well-being and it's usually women who figure on the on the pictures and so on not exclusively but many men will go well thanks very much that's not for me which is a shame really not so much from the point of view of that particular approach but more from thinking about wellness what is wellness what is well-being and the risk of being a little bit crass well-being is being well, for goodness sake. What does it mean to be well? Well, in my book, it covers a whole load of things, and we can unpack that a little bit. It does address the question, do we want to be well? Male, female, young, old? The answer to that, well, of course we do. Nobody wants to be unwell. But then that kind of begs the question, what do we really mean by well-being? Being well covers the whole areas of life. It obviously touches into physical wellness which is often what we're talking we're thinking about but one thing that these other things that you mentioned at least point to is that wellness has to do with more than just how my physical body is doing that's important but it isn't the only important thing because well-being is much broader and deeper than that thanks Andy for putting up with my cheeky question it was just to kick off the conversation but moving on how important would you say that wellness is for men Well, that wellness, if it's about physical relationships, emotional, mental, spiritual, communal, everybody needs some degree of wellness or health, if you like, in all those different areas. Now, that's true for men, just as it's true for women. And there are differences, of course, between men and women. But when we're looking at the whole span of what it means to be well, well, of course, that applies to men and women. It's just that often the approach that men take to health and wellness isn't necessarily quite the same as many women do. So most men tend to default to, well, I'm going to play football with the lads, or I'm going to go down to the gym. And actually, often there is a physical dimension to that. And men, as long as they feel fit and healthy physically, simply leave it at that. But there's whole loads of areas. How are their relationships? How's their inner life going? What's their emotional and mental state? Of course, with the likes of the princes Harry and William and Rio Ferdinand and others, kind of coming out and saying, there's Rio in, in a, a tough footballer who's in tears because of his experiences that affected him mentally and emotionally. Well, 
Of course that is. Do men do emotions? They often say, no, no, it's just for women. That's not actually true. Everybody does emotions, just that people act it out in different ways. I believe you're touching on a really good point, Andy, that naturally we men like to engage with certain areas of wellness, such as physical health, but at the same time, there are other areas that we don't, such as emotional hygiene. Would you like to unpack that a little bit more for us? Well, if, if we recognise, as I think we must from the research, and actually really from life, if we're honest, that everybody does emotions. It's just that we act out on those emotions in different ways. Uh, there's a bit of a hint in that from a negative point of view, from a male point of view. Actual suicide, men outnumber women three to one. For men aged, what, 16 to 35 kind of thing, it's the number one cause of premature death. That's pretty significant. Why? Because often, to be a bit overgeneralizing, but I think it's true, often women will and the research shows they're kind of more in touch with their emotions, they feel emotions, that's why depression and anxiety are three or four times more common in women than they are in men, because women have emotional connection, shall we say, awareness and expression. Often you'll find women talk it out with another woman. Men very often don't do that. What they do is they act out, again, physically. They do something. So addiction is that much more. Aggression and violence much more common in men and women. Why? Because there's stuff going on. They may not even be aware of it inside, but it's acting out. It often relates way back into their childhood, their upbringing, and there's all kinds of stuff going on there and they will act it out uh, physically in their bodies. Just to say, of course, that's why the likes of Prince Harry and Rio Ferdinand and others are so helpful, because they're actually giving the lie to men not doing these things, and so there's another way of doing it, to allow this stuff to come out in a safe space with another person. That's a good point, Andy. And I want to go back to the other observation you just made. Because we don't engage with our emotions, we then act upon them, either by engaging with various forms of addiction or resorting to violence, especially against women. And we've seen recent uh, high-profile cases such as Sarah Verad or Sabina Nessa, which is really shocking and really sad that this is happening. And this is why we need to engage with our emotions as men. We need to find a safe space, either through counselling and sometimes we don't talk about about it enough because it sometimes feels like there's a stigma around it but we do need to engage with our emotions and also we need to encourage that from a young early age for our for our boys and speaking about our emotions uh, just uh, recently one of our followers dropped us a message asking us what is the difference between emotional and mental health can you please clarify that for us Andy? I think it's a lot of uncertainty isn't there we know what we mean when we talk about physical health Oh, well, if I see the body and I have a body, when it comes to things that aren't so in your face, physical, material stuff is true of our society generally, that's a little bit more tricky, particularly as many men do. You default to the materials. We talk this other stuff. Oh, I don't know what that is. They call it mental and emotional. I don't know what that means. But I think you've got to take a step or two back and to realise that what is called the medical model is dominant. In other words, when you go to the doctor with something obviously physical, it's pretty straightforward. They might do an x-ray or take a blood. They give you a chemical, basically. It's a medicine. But... When people go to the doctor and they're saying they're depressed, they're anxious and so on, that doesn't easily fit. In the, uh, and, and there's something called medically unexplained symptoms where people go with. Uh, so people go with this 
pain or something or gynecological problem or something, headache, migraine, and they do the tests and they can't find verticomers anything wrong with them physically because that's the model. Have they got pain? Are they troubled and distressed? You bet they are. But the difficulty is the doctor can't really treat it in a way that they can with diabetes and so on. So we end up with this whole bunch of things that are called mental health that aren't physical. Anything that isn't physical, well, it must be mental, mustn't it? And that's a, a model. But when you come to the emotions, it's clear from the research, it's not quite the same thing. And to put it as simply as I can, there's kind of two aspects, actually, to use two sides of the brain. One is all about thinking, cognitive. That's why they call it cognitive behavioural therapy. And it, it deals with the thoughts you have. That's very important, how we do. But there's another part of the brain, it's the right-hand side, that deals with emotions. Affect, they call it. They're not the same as the, as the feelings, and not the same as the thoughts. And it turns out that the emotional side of things, rather than uh, as it once was thought of by the cognitive chaps, uh, as touchy-feely stuff beyond the realm of scientific uh, research, turns out to be, in recent years they've shown, the key to healthy view of yourself, healthy view of other people, therefore relationships, and the relationships at heart so much of our issues. No wonder it turns out that this emotional health becomes the, 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 the most important thing. Now, there's lots we can say about that, how it's rooted into how we're brought up and our relationships, how they develop. But it is a thing. Just as the, the material is a thing, so is the emotional and, of course, the, the, the feeling as well as the, the thoughts. That's a very helpful distinction, Andy. Thank you. And just to drive the point a bit further, I would say that there can be the case where a person is emotionally healthy, but, unfortunately, they might struggle with uh, some mental health issues like uh, depression or anxiety. And on the other end of the spectrum, you might have somebody who is emotionally very unhealthy, shows irregular emotions and behavior. They don't have any mental health issues. They, you know, they're perfectly all right in that sense. And on a different point, previously you just mentioned how our childhood can impact our further development in life. And in relation to that, one example that came up in our offline conversations was uh, that of Winston Churchill, who's a prominent uh, person in British politics and in British psyche. I was wondering if you would like to talk a bit about it. Yeah, I can't remember whether we talked about it in any depth last time, but just to say, and yet, and this is this thing about the emotional, what's going on the inside? <laughs> and uh, the story goes, as far as I understand, it's true. Certainly it's true about his childhood that he, he really never knew his dad, who was a, a great figure, his home secretary, was in the government, Randolph Churchill, uh, an aristocrat, very respected, and yet... And Churchill's mother, really, they hardly had anything to do with him at all. Young Winston, he had a nanny. And who he attached to, <laughs> which is very important, uh, was this nanny, not his parents. However, this distant figure of his father, who he honoured and respected and wanted, aspired to be like, but never knew, was forever this figure who dominated his life. And so it seems that all that Churchill did was in many ways an attempt to satisfy his father. But even after he died, there was this, because these things are built into our, our heads, our minds, and all that he was doing, he, he wanted to live up to this expectation that his father put on. He could never do it, of course, but it had a profound effect on him. So Churchill represents 
something of both for men and for women, of course, what's going on and what roots into our childhood and upbringing and for the rest of our lives has that very powerful effect on us. Yes, this is such a powerful example. And what I find it quite striking about it is that Winston Churchill, not only kind of, it was haunted by this image of his father, but in the end, he became like his father. He became the prime minister of the UK. And this also brings it home that how important it is for us, the, the models we are given as children and how that impacts how we behave and why we become further on in life. Definitely does. And it's not just true for Churchill. It's true for us all, just to give a... A little example from my own experience. Um, again, my father, because fathers are very important, aren't they? Fathers are very important to their sons. That goes both ways, positive and negative. And my dad was, if you like, one of those stereotypical, even British men, stiff upper lip kind of thing, who showed his love, undoubtedly loved his three children, but... Um, wasn't very good at showing it. The way he showed it was by doing once again. He was a teacher and so he brought the money in, that whole framework of your life. Of, but he was not good at showing, at, you know, expressing that love verbally or physically. I can't remember many hugs. Certainly don't remember him saying, I love you, those words. I do remember him being pretty strict and disciplinarian. And I think that is often traditionally, perhaps even today, what men can be like, fathers can be like. And so I grew up lacking affirmation because I didn't get it. Fortunately from my mum, who was almost the opposite, she expressed her feelings, including her love, just tracking back into my dad. And of course these things are always linked with our own upbringing. He was an only child. His father was in the Royal Marines. This was the 1920s, 30s, as he was growing up. And he was off for years at a time. So he, a little bit parallel, kind of, to the Churchill experience, almost kind of semi-worshipped his dad, who was this very strong figure. But he was with his mum, who he didn't respect very much, who was a bit kind of me-centred kind of thing. So I had this beautiful, his distant dad and his only child. Couldn't wait to leave home. Went to college, met my mum, got married very, at the age of 21, relatively young. Children who, because they haven't been shown much love and affection, become people a bit detached, cut off, avoiding emotional and emotions generally. And so that was the, the reason why he was so distant. And of course, it's, it knocks on their own children until someone comes along and they can find a ways of understanding what's going on and then ways of um, dealing with it. Thank you for sharing that, Andy. And funny enough, that reminds you of my own relationship with my granddad, who seemingly grew up in the 20s, was a strong man. He didn't show much emotions, but he was showing his care and affection through his deeds. And I remember um, a few years ago when I went to him and kind of show my gratitude and thank him for all his input in, into my upbringing and into my life. When I expressed that to him and also I said, hey, granddad, I love you. His response was quite typical. Well, it took you some time to figure out that, huh? So yeah, he was expressing his emotions through, through his deeds, mostly. Totally. I think everybody's different, aren't they? So we can't... But there are trends and tendencies. Some men feel that expressing those kind of things is not what men do. Come on, sort yourself out, be a man, let's get on with it. Other men, 
they don't even know what they're feeling. So if you were to ask some people, so what are you feeling on the inside? They go, I don't know. Can you put a label on it? No, I'm not sure really. And, and actually for, for others of us, that's surprising. And yet for many men, it's just not something that they've learned to do. Why? Because that's the way they were brought up. And in the company of other men, you don't, you, it's, you don't open up to be a bit vulnerable. You know, the, it disturbs the banter. Uh, but it's going on on the inside. And it's only when people can find a safe place to start to and be encouraged to open up about their thoughts and feelings. I believe the key word from what you shared, Andy, is vulnerability, because it's not sitting well with this distorted image of masculinity that we have, that we shouldn't show emotions, because we know when we're around men, if we show any sign of vulnerability, it's social suicide, we're going to be preyed with blistering banter, and nobody wants to do that. And the reason we have in this conversation, and I started this podcast, is just to encourage men to find safe spaces, to speak with their friends, with their mates, about how they're feeling and why they're feeling in respective way i know it's easier to share kind of our successes but also we need to find safe spaces to share some of our struggles and if people can afford to to go to a counselor even better but this is one way to break this cycle of male suicide and speaking about masculinity i was wondering if you want to share a bit how your perception of what it means to be a man has changed over your over your lifetime yeah absolutely i one thing i maybe want to say about that is that somebody put it this way it was a, a therapist and a doctor and he, he talked about the distinction between the one hand the true self and the false self so not just about men but anybody and he said that there's something that is authentic about every person and given the encouragement it goes back to upbringing and so on but even later, even if you're damaged kind of thing, if you find a place of safety, meaning there are relationships here and people who will accept you for who you are and don't put anything on you, um, then it's possible to become your true self, to grow into that. And everybody, even though they're damaged, they have a sense of who they are and how, or at least how they want to be. So that's the true self. On the other hand, there's this false self he talked about, which is a kind of narrative, an image, a face, a mask that you put on, uh, that you've learned, most of it is unconscious of course, and you just function, you say and do certain things to fit in or to be the sort of person who you think ought to be. It's not who you really are, it's the false self. And I think in the male context, true masculinity, false masculinity, you could say. And so it's almost like the, the false masculine is excessive overdosing, the over, the elevation, overemphasis of that in the false masculine gives you this kind of macho, if you like. And not just in this country, it's everywhere. The masculine is kind of blown up into that. But the problem is, because it so emphasises the physical and the dominant and the rest of it. Many men are not going to be the alpha male and actually are very <laughs> and it's not who they are anyway. And so for the authentic, unique person, that needs to break down. And that's where uh, more men are going to therapy, for example, these days and actually admitting, mm, I need to kind of discover what this stuff is. And so, of course, the things that are good about the true masculine, it seems to me, is and it's on to the question what I really think are 
is the top traits kind of thing. I think there's something about the true masculine, if you like, that is strong. You know, the classic thing is Aragorn in, in um, The Lord of the Rings kind of thing. There's something very strong about him. But the strongest of men, masculine, are able to treat women, to treat children, to treat uh, disadvantaged people in a gentle way, gentle man. And so there's this strength where the strongest men are people who are able to raise people up. They use their strength to build up and not push down. On that point, I just want to highlight that I understand that what you're saying is it's important to perceive this idea of strength as a spectrum because otherwise it feels like we're going back to square one because earlier we just mentioned how important it is to address this perception that men need to be strong, be stiff upper lip, don't show any emotions. Strength is in one end of the spectrum, how you can use to serve others, fight for the right causes and so on. And at the other end of the spectrum is when strength is used to dominate, to suppress others, to use for selfish reasons. I think it's important to make the distinction. However, I would also stress that I don't want strength to be in a way idealized, worshipped, because otherwise it feels that we are creating the same virus we're trying to fight. Totally. Somebody put it this way as a psychiatrist and he he said there's two forces, there's two drives in every human being. One is to achieve, to go out and do something. Our culture is very strong on that, let's get it done. But the other is not to achieve, it's to connect. That's the relational, so relationships and so on. And so often many men will be, will be orientated towards going and doing, well, I'm here to do it and I'm protecting whatever I might be doing, but not great at the, at the connecting, seeing that as a bit, well, secondary. Actually, again, the research shows that the heart, of, a sense of achievement and wholeness and health is rooted in the emotions, that attachment from early life and relationships. If you want to be happy and satisfied in life, have healthy relationships. That's the number one finding on the well-being research. And so call it masculine or feminine, if you like. Call it task or connection. Call it achieving or relating. Actually, those are the two things in every person. We need to find a balance between going off and doing things, and that's true for men and for women in our culture, and on the other hand, I think COVID and the lockdowns have kind of elevated all this, have shone a spotlight. Actually, how are our relationships and how are our connecting? Because that's what's going to get our inner life healthy to enable us to go and achieve I'll pick up again on that word vulnerable because I think it has certain resonance in our mind as men. And I remember a few years ago, the word vulnerability to meet men being exposed, but I had to learn that being vulnerable with my friends, it kind of led to a bonding experience that led us to kind of get to know each other and find a safe space where I could share not only my highs, but also some of the challenges I was going through. And that led to certain new friendships that probably wouldn't have happened if wouldn't be the case for me and my friends to be vulnerable and open up to each other. It's very interesting that on vulnerability is a woman called Brene Brown, mm. who's a um, social researcher in the States, and she's done stuff on YouTube and so on. She did research into what she called the wholehearted. People seem to have a full-orb life and were satisfied. <laughs> and she did lots of research on it, and ended up going into therapy herself as a result, and at the end of it, she came to certain conclusions. She said that the people who were the wholehearted, the paradox of it was the, the wholehearted people 
were the most willing to be vulnerable to other people. It, it's kind of the opposite of what you'd think. And because they're vulnerable, they're able to not substitute things, which is appearance and addiction and so on, but actually they're comfortable in their own skin, secure, they call it secure attachment and so on. And so they're able to not only be comfortable with themselves, but with other people as well. That's the definition of secure, secure personality for me, personhood. is because they're comfortable within themselves, but they're also able to reach out and relate to people healthily. And on that basis, that's the, that's the ultimate recipe, in a, way, for, in a sense, for, for satisfaction. Happiness, maybe, but it's not really happiness. It's, it's life satisfaction. And it's on the basis of being vulnerable <laughs> rather than asserting all, what, all things you want. That's very interesting, Andy. And I like the connection between being secure and being able to be vulnerable with others because regardless of what happens and the way people respond, one is secure enough to know that we, they will be able to engage with that response. And going forward, actually, I want to ask you a question that I'm going to be asking all the other guests in order to capture the variety of views about men. And the question is, what are some of the stereotypes you dislike when it comes to uh, to men? Well, I think we probably touched on them already, haven't we? The, the idea that you have to be strong, but the idea of strength, physical strength, and a kind of dominating strength, uh, that's perhaps the stereotype, the more extreme, but the sense of things like mansplaining, where there's a man and a woman, and he takes the role of, well, I know what it is, and you need to listen. And how many women have been exposed to that? over the years so that sense of I'm the dominant one I know I'm in I'm in the right not able to say sorry very much and all the stuff we've talked about so so that physical but also emotional thing it's kind of turning on its head the strengths that when they're in a true masculinity actually very worthwhile but when they become focused on the self and what I want they become controlling sometimes violent, but, but even not to that extent, just this sense of, well, I'm, I'm in control here. I'm not, I'm, not too, I'm not a fan of that. That's a really interesting observation, Andy. And I'll make a reference to what you mentioned earlier from Brenner Brown, the idea of being secure in yourself. I truly believe that, and some people might disagree with this, that behind this kind of facade of men being strong in, in the way you described it, being dominant, having this uh, strong dominance of others, behind all this might be trauma, but also is a, is a massive insecurity. Because, as you said, if you're secure, yourself if you know who you are you can handle whatever people respond in different circumstances but if you're not you and if you're looking for a specific response the only the one you can handle then you'll try to control others to give you and manipulate them to give you that response totally i think that's right somebody's used the metaphor they call it the garden of the heart and from early stages have not been affirmed they have not, so the soil of their heart is, is quite barren, become very insecure as a result. And, and then into that, both at home and certainly when they go to school, what this person who used the metaphor says, seeds of offence. In other words, 
people start to say things about them, your, your, your face, your nose, your, your thick, your this, you'll never achieve it. Maybe at home, maybe your dad said that kind of thing. And these enter the soil. Now, someone who is secure, uh, the soil is healthy. And so when these seeds of offence come in, as they surely will, to change the metaphor, it's like water from over duck's back. In other words, these seals, these seeds come into the soil, but they don't find a positive response to it. They don't germinate, because if you're insecure, they, they germinate and put down roots. And ultimately, and all this is happening underground, it's invisible. And then suddenly, something triggers it. The fruit of resentment, as he calls it. So where does road rage or air rage come from? It's, because it's all kept under wraps until, bang, it's triggered. Now, it may not be as violent as that, but that's what's going on. And the soil is insecure. It's a bit like Brené Brown was talking about, not the wholehearted, the insecure. And, and then, as a result, our actions will, will betray us. That's a beautiful analogy, and I liked how you nicely unpacked the, the point that I just made earlier. And to finish on a positive note, we talked previously about the positive traits uh, of, of masculinity, and you mentioned how strength is this kind of spectrum, and, but I was wondering if there's anything else that you would like to add in terms of some of the positive traits. Well, um, a man can be strong, because a woman can be strong, but just on the, on the masculine side, and it's expressed in because men physically are stronger, and there are reasons why that is because you know for thousands and thousands of years we weren't sitting in front of computers in nice cozy offices it was out there kind of thing and somebody need to go and kill the bear kind of thing because roles and so on were but here we are so it's not surprising maleness or masculinity or the way men uh, are that need to be strong but here's the rub it's not just physical strength for a we're social beings. And so for our family life and our community life, that requires a gentleness, um, a love, and express. So all these things that some men think are irrelevant are crucial for the building of our family. That's as true today as it ever was. And so fatherhood and the male impact to strengthen, to support, to actually in a humble way, if you like, it's not a very popular word these days, but a way that puts out sacrificially using their strength for others' benefit. Well, that sounds like a pretty good masculine approach to me. The spin I want to give to what I heard earlier, Andy, is kind of shifting the focus from men being the strong provider, especially in financial means, to being, in a way, providing but providing care for his family. That doesn't mean that he should stop being in a good job and so on, but it means also how he can be there for his partner, but also for his children in a way that he shows care, emotional support, especially when I'm thinking for children. It could be something along the lines like, hey, let's go out and play, let's do, let's spend time together, let's go for a walk, yeah, you fall down and you're crying, I'm going to wipe your tears, I'm going to clean your wound, I'm going to hold your hand to know that I'm here for you. And this, I think, is important to have that that shift of uh, perspective and also being perceived as strong, not only physical or financially reliable. Utterly. But I think in situations like that, often, in many families, it's still true, I think, the mum, because women have typically more emotional connection awareness and expression she will be the one that others will go to in the family to connect oh because they go to this secure place it's a safe place often but if the father can grow in his emotional 
account as well. So he's in touch with his emotions. Actually, he'd be a better husband, be a better partner, but he'll also be able to connect with his children. One, one story on that. I don't have sons, but I do have two daughters. And one of the things from quite, certainly from their teens, that I began to do with them, I, I'm not quite sure how it started, but it developed in something called TT, Time Together. And so it didn't matter what we did. But I still have those, TT. I'm going to be with my daughter tomorrow. And that has built because there's no expectations it's just being together not going and doing a task but just being and, and that that's where these things start to come out i think if that starts at an early age because i had my dad in mind and i wanted to be a father who expressed his love in word and indeed to his children whatever gender they were i think that is what builds the bridge so they have a relationship with you individually as their father not just as it were, via the mother. On a final point, I just want to highlight something that maybe I should have said previously, that when I mean by men should express their emotions, and I believe you might say something along the same lines, Andy, is that men should find that spectrum and nuance how to express what they feel. And it's not about finding in a feminine way, because sometimes men think, oh, we need to kind of do it as, as women do. And I don't think that's the case. I think each person should find their own way to express uh, emotions. The same is for, for men as well. And um, it's important just to, to kind of highlight that uh, for me. Absolutely, I completely agree. And the issue is not what, <laughs> in the first instance, whether I'm a man or a woman, it's being a human being, anybody, that uh, we can only be us, we can only connect healthily with others by being ourselves. How do we become ourselves? By spending a bit of time reflecting on our background, what forces, we, we touched on some of them, and actually, how do I express? How do I feel about myself and about others? And being honest and saying, well, look, to those who know me best, what are my strengths and weaknesses relationally? And they'll, they'll, hopefully, they'll be honest. Certainly, my wife and I have had, we've been married for 38 years, we've had some very honest exchanges on that. And being willing to say, yeah, do you know what? You're right, I do have those patterns and I'm going to make some choices to change them uh, in the context of the relationships that we have. There's a way forward there. That's a good point to end on, Andy. Thank you again for your time and for being here today. And before you go, can you please share with our listeners where they can find more information of the free resources you have available? And it goes without saying that all the links will be available in the caption of this episode. So I run courses, the happiness course has been going for a long time, one called the wellness course and there are others as well. On the website you can find it, andyjillparnham.com, so it's Andy, A-N-D-Y, Jill with a J, I-L-L-Parnham, P-A-R-N-H-A-M, andyjillparnham.com and hello at andyjillparnham.com is the email address. Thank you very much, really enjoyed Thanks for tuning in today and next episode is going to be about healthy masculinities with Dr. Dan Guinness. Until then, don't forget to follow us on Insta or Twitter at men underscore mentoring or for more info, check out the website at www.menmentoring.org.uk.